So welcome everyone to the fifth episode of this podcast series called Environmental Justice Litigation. Uh, this podcast series is made as part of the student project at the University of Oslo. My name is Iva Svalina and my co-host is Konrad Sandvik. Uh, Konrad, who are we talking to today? Well, today we have an episode that I have been looking forward to for a long time because we are talking to finally some economists. We're talking to Mats Greaker and Knut Einar Rosendahl, and together they wrote a review or an assessment of the government's impact report before opening uh, the South Barents Sea for oil exploration. And I have to promise every non-economist listening to uh, this uh, episode, it is way more interesting than you might think. So without further ado, we'll kick it off with the interview. So joining us today, we have two economics professors. We have Knut Einar Rosendahl, which is a, and he's a professor at uh, the Norwegian University of Life Science at the School of Economics and Business. And Mats Greaker, uh, he's a professor at Oslo Business School at the Oslomet. So thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. And uh, Iva, you can, Eva, you can k- kick us off. Yes. Uh, so we can start with uh, your relation to the Norwegian climate uh, lawsuit. Can you explain how how were you related to it? Yeah, so we were uh, so-called expert witnesses uh, for Greenpeace and, and Nature News. So we were approached by Greenpeace uh, and asked if we could uh, take a look at this uh, impact assessment that were made by the by the government uh, before opening this area. So they wanted us to both look at whether this uh, impact assessment uh, did a good job on the economics part, uh, and also whether they they took into account uh, CO2 emissions, both in Norway and also abroad in a proper way. So so we accepted this uh, question from them on this request and and looked into the the reports and the documentation and then uh, wrote our own report on this and what we found uh, and then presented this also in court. Can you just uh, shortly explain what is an impact assessment and why do we require it? Yeah, it's it's required by law that when you open up a new petrol area for petrol, petroleum exploration and maybe extraction, exploration, you don't do that if you don't think you're going to extract maybe in the future, it's required by law that you do an impact assessment of all the different effects of opening up this area. And actually in the law, it's also stated uh, what what the content of, of such an impact assessment should be. It's the impact on the environment, it's the impact on the economy, it's the impact on the local economy and the national economy, etc. So it's the impact assessment is very similar to a cost-benefit analysis, but it's not the word cost-benefit analysis, which is used for all kinds of uh, public projects. It's not um, stated in the law, but it, this impact assessment is very, very is similar to a cost-benefit analysis. So you have to, to look at the income from the project and you have to look at the, the environmental impacts. And also there is specified that you should look at the employment impacts of the project. 
And and how do you do that? Uh, like, how do you set up and compare cost to wildlife and climate against gains in jobs and export? You never end up with one figure and says, oh, this is negative. And then you say, this shouldn't be done or this is positive, this should be done. Because it's very hard to to actually compare the different figures. But you can, some figures you can give an economic value. For instance, what is the, what is the uh, social surplus of developing this, uh, this uh, oil field? What is the income from the sales of oils? And what is the, the costs? And some of these costs you can put figures on. Of course, you can put costs on all the, all the capital you have to invest in and all the people that have to work there. They have uh, their wages, and that's also a cost. And then you have uh, CO2 emissions, and that's then it becomes a little bit more difficult to evaluate, to value what is the value of the CO2 emissions. But then you have European Emission Trading Scheme, for instance, and this and the oil Norwegian petroleum sector is participates in the European emission trading system. So then you also have a value on, on these emissions. But then when it comes to employment activity, then you, you normally just say how many people will be employed, and it's hard from an economist's perspective to actually value that, because if there was uh, unemployment, large unemployment, that maybe have a value, but in Norway and in, in this district, uh, there was no unemployment. So all these workers had to come from other employment, and then, yeah, what's the actual value of that? It's not so easy to say. And for all the environmental effects, you normally just describe the effects and then the seriousness of the effects and then you weigh this environmental effect which you don't have a number on uh, up against uh, the economic values of course you could try to put numbers on the environmental effects as well an oil spill has maybe impacts on the fisheries and then you can look at the economic profits from the fisheries and say okay 10 percent of this will maybe go away and you can also ask people, and that's much more common to do, how do you value an oil spill along the Norwegian coast, for instance? How much are you willing to pay to avoid such an uh, oil spill? And there are, have been investigations on this, and uh, you have numbers for it, also from uh, abroad. But such numbers was not used in this impact assessment at all. They only took numbers for the for the income and cost directly from the... Um, from the production and uh, from the sales and uh, the production or extraction of oil and gas from these fields. As I remember, they didn't even try to uh, put a number on the CO2 costs, even that that's very normal to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, sorry. obviously should do it in this case, actually. Yeah, because uh, one of the things that surprised me as well f in your, your findings was that the government had done, as you said, they'd put up uh, the the cost uh, cost of uh, developing the oil field and the income from, uh, from exporting oil. But is it correct that they did not discount uh, any of the future earnings? Uh, yeah. If you if you can explain first, uh, like what is the concept of discounting, and uh, and uh, if they did did do it here or not? Mm. Yeah, so discounting is very crucial in any project, uh, not not only in this context. So it means that um, uh, that money that you have today is 
is always more worth than money that you get in the future. So one million today is much better than one million in 2030, because if you have this million today, you can invest it and you can get earn interest on this money. And then in 2030, you will have most likely at least much more than one million. So that's uh, why when you compare uh, uh, income and costs in different periods, in different years, in a, in a specific project, or in this case, in, in, uh, in uh, uh, searching for oil, developing oil fields, and then after 10 to 10, 15 years, maybe starting to earn revenue, it's very important that you discount the future uh, income and also cost so that uh, if you have uh, 1 million earnings in 2030, then this is worth less than 1 million when you compare it with the, with the current uh, cost, for instance. So if you have one, cost, 1 million cost today and 1 million revenues in 2030, then that's uh, you will go with a deficit, deficit the, what do you call it? Deficit. You will lose deficit, yeah, you will lose money, actually. So in this case, the government is not, did not discount future, future income? No, they didn't do that. They just summed all the, the revenues and, uh, without uh, taking into account when the revenues came and also summed all the costs over all the years without taking into account when the costs were. And then they took the total revenue minus the total cost and presented that as a sort of a net income. And that's, uh, that's an error. Yeah, it's and it's uh, shocking to me. I have I have to say because uh, in in our um, I'm a master student of uh, economics and in public economics we uh, almost everything we talk about is the present value of projects and uh, and uh, as you said a cost benefit analysis. And they've used examples like if you if you own a million ice creams and you get an offer to sell all of them today for one price. Or you could uh, uh, like rent the shop and uh, rent the freezer and uh, pay for staff to sell them over 10 years. You can get a million kroner for them today or you can get 1.1 uh, million in 10 years. Which, which one do you choose? And it, it seems obvious that you would have to take into account such, such a basic thing as discounting income that that comes in the future because it's also uncertain as you said the, talking about the the oil price uh, that we don't know yeah exactly so uh, and the more uncertainty there is the the, the more you should probably discount uh, the future expected uh, revenues and there are also rules for this uh, in the government so the ministry of petroleum for instance they normally uh, have a certain discount rate that they use when they are considering specific projects, like uh, if there's a new field being that the, the companies want to develop, and then they have to hand in a plan for development. And then they have to discount future uh, income, like you presented, and, and make a net present value calculation. So this is uh, some, they they'd always do that, but they didn't do it in this particular opening case so that's it's very strange and it's a very it's a it's a big error and and if there is one area where they almost always do it it is uh like in the in the cost of climate change and the mitigation strategies right that it's too expensive to do something about it today because the 
the effects or the costs of it will come a long way in the future so we don't care as much about them now you can mm. you can argue whether that's a good thing or not in dealing with climate change there's a lot of debate of maybe you sh should not discount as much of course but when it comes to extracting oil that might be the wrong uh, end of the <coughs> of the equation to start not discounting in uh, it seems mm. to me yeah, that was. Uh, I totally agree, and that was. This is this is a kind of business proposal in a way. It's uh, for Norway. It's uh, it's starting up an oil field. You have income in the future. You have high costs now. The government is very involved because of the tax system, so the government has to pay a lot of the costs up front because the oil companies can subtract all the costs and then reduce their current taxes by a large large amount. And then uh, you have in the future, you will have this income and then the government start to earn money because they then have the high taxes on the, on the profit in the future. So it's a business proposal and they should, of course, uh, discount it. Because what we discovered when we discounted was that there were two scenarios that they looked at. There was one scenario with, uh, with large uh, oil deposits, oil and gas deposits. So we had... Um, you had uh, you had luck in a way. You, f you found a lot of oil and gas, and then uh, uh, there are looks like there are some scale advantages. So then there was uh, the current value of the project was positive. But then, if you if you didn't have this high, uh, if you had the the other more uh, low scenario, we only found gas, as far as I remember, and then the current value of the project was very close to zero. And uh, why should you then? It in a way, uh, in the special situation we are. So, uh, in the low uh, low uh, resource scenario, this project didn't look good at all. And uh, of course, when you didn't discount, then it also had were positive for that scenario. So then you could present for the parliament. You could present. Oh, even though we don't find so much, it's still a positive uh, revenue from the project. But. It would maybe be have been harder to to get the project through if if in a low scenario you would not actually earn anything on opening up this uh, area. So uh, I, I I I don't know, but I suspect that it was deliberate that they wanted not to discount because they wanted to to have two positive uh, uh, revenue streams from this uh, opening up this area. And just from your answer earlier, that number that then would be negative, that is even not including environmental costs as a, as a post in that equation. Is that is that correct? Since you said they did not use uh, monetary values on uh, on those? Can you uh, I don't recall the numbers now uh, because we also looked at the different discount rates. But I think maybe with... Um, when we use the discount rate of seven percent, seven percent, which the ministry usually applies, and we also uh, deducted the uh, value of CO2 emissions in Norway, then I think it at least it became negative. Maybe also before this deduction of CO2 cost in Norway. So um, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about risks of oil spills and local uh, impacts. Yeah, these, of course, are not calculated. So, uh, of course, when you... And that's why uh, when you get these very big numbers, billions of kroners that you can expect, and you compare it with the other negative things, that's more difficult to quantify. 
And then, of course, when these uh, these uh, new money figures looks very big, then it's more tempting to say yes, and, and sort of even though there are some negative effects. Well, if they have calculated correctly and and the monetary effects have been then shown to be smaller but still positive, then maybe this could tip the other way because then the negative effects could then have maybe dominated even though they were not calculated or quantified in, in monetary terms. So uh, you can not think of any good reason why they wouldn't discount, is that correct? I cannot think of any good reasons, no. <laughs> uh, so yeah. one reason that they mentioned, that the, min that the minister mentioned, was that this is so uncertain that uh, that. Uh, um, he, he didn't see the point, I think, in discounting since the numbers were so uncertain. But of course, when you present some numbers, then you should discount them anyway. If if there is so huge uncertainty, then you shouldn't present any numbers at all. Yeah, because because so, uh, usually yeah. we 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 say that uncertainty uncertainty would pull the number down, right? Because it is by definition uncertain. Or or they or do they think that it might be a lot more, or it might be a lot less, and it's so uh, it it is it might vary so much that we have actually no idea how much it would be. Is that uh, is is that the argument then? It, we we don't really have an idea, so we it, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, it's difficult to speculate, of course, but uh, it, they also put forward that uh, it's the companies that who will eventually decide whether they will start exploring and start developing, and and uh, uh, and they're saying that the petroleum tax regime is neutral, but uh, as we show, it's not fully neutral, and there are also these other environmental impacts that Mats talked about that they don't take fully into account. So uh, uh, so I, I think that argument is also not uh, really valid. I also think there is a contradiction in these arguments because the government actually spends quite a lot of money in making this impact assessment. It's not like that it's only employees in the Ministry of Oil and Energy that does this. They hire in a lot of consultancy firms, different consultancy firms. Some consultancy firms made uh, the employment uh, investigations and uh, other consultancy firms looked at the environmental impacts and uh, and also the oil directorate looked at the, the looked at the, the prospects or the revenue streams, etc. So they actually spend resources on making this report. And if you don't know anything anyhow, then you then that is waste in a way. Then why do you do it at all? Then you could, might as well say, hey, it's impossible to know anything, so let's open and see if there is any oil there and then make a decision afterwards. Uh, uh, so I think that's a, a contradiction in itself. Of course, you can know, uh, you have a lot of experience now. We have developed a lot of new fields over time so uh, in Norway so you should have experience of evaluating in the field uh, before it's developed and that can say you something that could tell you something and if it's a, a negative downside you, you you might as well wait with opening it opening it and it's uh, and it's true what Knut Anna said that um, the private firms as the tax system was and especially as it is just now, 
it's uh, it's not a neutral tax system. It's actually subsidies to the oil companies, and then of course you cannot just say that if they want to to go for exploration, then it's good for society. So we can say yes because uh, in the current tax system, which will not last for very long, but still still holds for I think all projects that are accepted through this year and next even if year. they're not carried what what next year even next year. next year even if they're not carried out next year but just accepted so it's a, a large subsidy to these projects and um, so you actually have to to have to do such an impact assessment properly before you do it if you plan to sort of subsidize uh, oil companies afterwards because then an outcome that could be quite likely here is that companies go in and start extracting because of the subsidies and do a project that would is actually a net negative for society. Yeah, that's a, that's a great danger, you know, especially with this new petroleum tax system that they uh, that was uh, temporary but still uh, holds. Uh, that they um, that went through the parliament uh, spring 2020, wasn't it? Mm. Then um, so that's a big danger that we now do a lot of of uh, of oil projects that is not socially beneficial but only privately beneficial, and that's actually an absurd situation to be when we have the climate challenge and, uh, and Norway is going to be a leader in the uh, fight against climate change and then uh, with the left hand just subsidize these oil projects. Yeah, and, and you, you also talked about uh, that we did not account for any cost of carbon of the, of the oil that we are extracting, uh, as you said, even when we're talking about a global climate crisis where we want at least a lot of Norwegian want us to take initiative and we know that we need a change. But it seems like all the errors you found in this reporting pulled towards drilling for more oil, opening more areas. How Do you have any assessment of why or how that happens, why we are where we are today? It's difficult again, but uh, it was a bit uh, so all uh, the errors or all the, the the biases that we found went in one direction, either by overestimating the the positive side or underestimating the cost side. So we found it at least a bit strange, uh, but of course it's difficult to know why exactly this happens. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and it seems like you just I'm I'm sorry to say you you don't have to say that but this but I will say it seems like very poor poor worksmanship from the people that made made the report and you're talking about an spreadsheet error that added uh, like a hundred mil million crooner or something to that that wasn't there uh, yeah I'm can you can you talk about that as well um, yeah, so that was, uh, <laughs> it was a very strange error in, in the Excel sheet that they used. So, they, so some of the numbers they presented, I think, uh, so they counted uh, some of the revenues twice. Um, uh, that was by accident, uh, definitely. Um, but eventually it, it didn't, uh, 
it didn't turn up in the in the last result when they presented the net income then for somehow this error disappeared so it, it, it's a bit strange but um so i think this process went uh, rather quickly also that's the at least that's what we heard the, the whole process was very very rapid so they have had little time but still it's that's not an excuse for for lack of discounting at least but maybe for yeah maybe you could explain some of it because I th there was yeah there was was kind of the current the government at that time that was a labor center party socialist party government and uh, they were very as far as i remember they were very proud of this uh, new agreement with russia so that you finally had a had a line and you divided the barren sea between russia and norway and that was finalized and then uh, i think the government had a very they wanted to to show that this agreement in a way uh, was a big benefit for norway and now they could start up with oil exploration in this area which was contested before the agreement uh, whether it belonged to russia or norway and then uh, and then they wanted to have some activity in the north of norway and i think that was and they actually pushed through this that's just speculation but it's uh, it looks like that and but i i actually I'm very glad I did. I was involved in this work because I did. I got pretty disillusioned by the work. I must say because uh, the politicians, like when they have discussed opening up the Lofoten uh, and Vesterolen area for oil exploration, they have always said that, yeah, you know, we we haven't decided to open up, but we will have an impact assessment, and then we will look at the impact assessment, and then we will decide. And then we will have a, an objective or neutral impact assessment, and that will be a, a wonderful um, document for making the right decision. Like that's that's the way they have debated all the time. So it's like we're not opening up; we only want an impact assessment. But uh, after having studied this impact assessment, I I, I think that uh, they cannot be trusted. This impact assessment it's uh, it's just a uh, it's just a kind of a, brochure for uh, opening up uh, a new field so i can better understand the political parties that say that we don't want an impact assessment because uh, it's not done properly i think maybe it should be it should be said somewhere that it should be done like a cost benefit analysis i think it's a it's a kind of hybrid and because in the cost benefit analysis you wouldn't come positively uh, just employment because as long as this employment is not net new employment it's just moving people from one uh, business to another you wouldn't count it as a benefit but they do it in this impact assessment so everything is sort of geared towards opening up i think i think uh, i think this uh, this should be changed and you should more look at it like a normal cost benefit analysis and when you add yeah. as you say all the errors that only pull one direction it it seems just to support your previous statement that it seems like the politicians just want the uh, the assessment to say that it has been done and then we'll open up anyway and the companies will do do what they feel are right uh, afterwards yeah so you mentioned oh, excuse me you can go on I think it's also very hard to, it's, uh, if you open up, you sort of set off 
a cascade effect like uh, then the companies invest money in exploration and then if they want to go on without taking uh, other environmental impacts properly into account you sort of you sort of in a way you've tied your hands to say say yes as well because you already have some costs of course you should say, say no if the projects are not socially profitable afterwards but uh, it's it's harder because you've already spent spent a lot of money in exploration which are sunk cost and, uh, and uh, yeah you have this sunk cost fallacy something called that uh, if you spend a lot of sunk cost you tend to make wrong decisions afterward because you want to have something good out of it even though it's not profitable so i think it's very important to do a impact assessment before you open up. So you mentioned discounting employment effects, but can you say some other flaws which you found in the assessment? So we talked about this uh, carbon emissions briefly. So uh, so the, the fact that they didn't uh, count the cost of carbon emissions in Norway, that's also a, a clear error because uh, not only because we want to save the world, but because we have climate uh, targets in Norway. And to reach these targets, uh, there is a cost involved. So then you need to, to deduct these costs in a proper um, assessment. And this was not done. They presented some figures about the emission level, but it didn't count as, as a cost. So that's a clear error. In addition, they didn't uh, look into uh, CO2 emissions abroad, and whether that is an error or not can be discussed. Um, so we also calculated uh, these emissions uh, and tried to put a number also on to, to try to calculate the cost of these emissions. Uh, this is a bit more more difficult to know whether you should have included them, but I think at least such an assessment report should also. Uh, include some discussion and some tentative numbers about these emissions because these emissions are much higher than the emissions from uh, from the extraction uh, in Norway. So, uh, how how do you put the these... price on uh, on the carbon uh, in in this case? Yeah, so um, so that's not obvious. Um, what, <laughs> what price you should use? There are. So now recently, the Minister of Finance have actually come up with some some uh, recommendations for that, but that's now this fall, so then that was not available uh, in 2013. Uh, but what we did was uh, to argue that the most relevant CO2 price is to use uh, uh, CO2 prices that are consistent with reaching this uh, 1.5 or 2 degrees target that the global community have agreed upon. So how high must uh, the CO2 price be globally to reach this target. So we applied uh, these kind of numbers to, to calculate the cost. But, but this could be discussed also, uh, what, what is the correct price? Um, in what direction do you think that this flaws pull the outcome of the report? Uh, well, it's the same way that the other flaws, actually, by underestimating the cost and overestimating the, the benefits. Um, so we did some calculations and, and um, emissions in Norway were, at least with the prices we applied, that we thought was correct. It, it, uh, it meant, uh, it was not marginal numbers, it, 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 in some scenarios I think it, uh, the net value went from plus to minus. 
Mm. Um, but then the emissions abroad uh, counted even more when we included them. Because pe- people uh, seem to not be able to agree as well on whether if it is we or somebody else that supply the oil, that should that reflect on us uh, or not? And if we reduce our um, our supply of oil, will that will that even affect uh, the the global supply of oil? Uh, mm. Of course, we have some comments from some studies funded by the oil industry as well on that topic. But I don't know if you have any comments on that area. Yeah, so it's not. Uh, it's a bit difficult to know how much emissions abroad will be reduced uh, or increased when we uh, when we increase our oil production. Um, so we used uh, numbers from a study that uh, that I was involved in some years ago um, for oil. Uh, but then, as you mentioned, there was a recent report now from Rista Energy um, where they come to a different conclusions still. Uh, most likely that uh, more oil production in Norway gives higher emissions abroad, but they came, they found smaller effect than we did in in our article. So this is uh, so how big these effects are. Um, that's uncertain, but it's it's uh, it's very likely. I would say that uh, more oil extraction in Norway leads to more emissions uh, globally. For, for gas, it's more an open question. So for gas, we didn't do such calculations because there we we think emissions can go either up or down. It's difficult to, to know the sort of the sign of the effect. So bringing this back to the the court case, which has been uh, like the center of our uh, project here with our several interviews, um, do you feel that these flaws that you uh, uncovered? had any impact on the decision of the court? I was uh, actually, I was, uh, the much of the court case, probably you know better, took place around uh, the law aspects of this paragraph uh, 110 or 112 in the, in the Norwegian constitution, this new paragraph. And whether this was more like an uh, what you call a propaganda paragraph that didn't have any legal uh, content, it's more more like some uh, program. I think that's the word they say. So the politicians only wanted to to say that they mind about the environment, but it didn't really have any any um, real substance. And so the the government, the the lawyer of the government, he was arguing very hard in court that this was this was just a propaganda paragraph and didn't have any any legal uh, implications. And uh, and on that case, he actually didn't win. Uh, I think the court, both in the in the at the first level and the second level, was very clear on that this paragraph could have could have some legal implications. But still, not in this case, because then the argument was that the Norway is doing so much to reduce their emissions. So uh, you couldn't actually say that uh, at Norway was failing with respect to climate change. But then the other part of the court case was that if there was some um, error in the in the material that was presented to the parliament, that could have maybe changed the decision in the parliament. And then, of course, there was an error in the material, several errors, as we have pointed out. Uh, but I think the court, I was a bit disappointed, especially with the high court, because 
they were very they didn't really take it serious that uh, that uh, that this impact assessment hadn't used the current hadn't used uh, current values current value estimations and had discounted future income streams uh and and said then something about it could be pedagogic not to do it or something uh, it's very strange that you you do a, a clear uh it's like saying one plus one is three because because it's more pedagogic than saying one plus one plus is two in a way it's uh it's a sort of um relativity in yeah i i i was very disappointed with that decision with the course that they didn't pay any attention to these clear wrongs and actually the court could have said and uh, have decided that okay and this was uh, so many uh, so many um, faults in the material that was presented to the parliament so we have to have a new round in the parliament and that would have worked uh, would of course have been uh, very uh, very serious for the Minister of Oil and Energy and would probably have improved all the future impact assessments seriously if they had made that decision, but they didn't do it because they, I don't know, they argued that even though they had used the current value estimation, that the, 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 the parliament would have voted for anyhow. But of course, you don't know that. How can you know that? How can you know this, this, this history that never happened? So I think the court, they said the numbers were uncertain, but at the same time, they were certain about something that never happened, certain that the parliament would have voted yes anyhow. So well, I think, yeah, that was strange. Yeah, I was also uh, uh, surprised, uh, or I think it was of the, the little economic competence in the Supreme Court from the, mm -hmm. from the majority, um, like Mats explained. Um, but I also noticed that the minority in the Supreme Court, they focused on these uh, emissions abroad from Norwegian oil extraction, that these also should be taken into account, uh, as far as I understood it at least. And that was an interesting um, uh, thing that, uh, I mean, uh, the, not only me, but also other experts, of course, uh, in the court talked about these emissions uh, abroad from Norwegian oil extraction. So. Uh, at least it seemed that this uh, focusing on emissions abroad got some uh, traction in the court. Sorry, what does that say then about the court's ability to hand out judgments in cases like this? Because it seems like they, with all due respect to the courts, have, as you say, very limited economic understanding. It's difficult again to, I think, to answer. But uh, um, yeah, I would I would expect that they have economic competence uh, around, even though they are lawyers themselves. That they have economic competence, but I'm not sure how that works. Uh, but I must say, I was surprised by by how these economic uh, calculations were were uh, um, presented or or talked about by the by the court. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm so, not a lawyer, so it's difficult. <laughs> so I, I will just. Yeah. Sorry, Mats, you can go. I was also very disappointed with the courts, uh, with their understanding of the current value concept, uh, and that they just said that it's more pedagogic, could be more pedagogic. It, it, it's sort of a. 
<laughs> kind of disrespect for uh, economic sciences in a way. So, but I, at the same time, I know that uh, all the judges in the courts in Norway are really competent people, and they have uh, they're intelligent, everything. But maybe there is something wrong also with the law. That maybe there is there is something wrong with this description of the impact assessment. Maybe it should should say that it should follow the procedures of a cost-benefit analysis because then the High Court couldn't have said anything else and this hasn't followed these procedures. And then it's wrong and then you have to do it again and we have to make the decision again. Maybe the law is, uh, is not good at that point because it's often so that when you get judgments, you should go back and look at the law more uh, thoroughly. Judgments that you feel is wrong in some way. So yeah, that's some reflections I've had afterwards that uh, that this the law about impact assessment is not good because this uh, the concept of the impact assessment is too flexible. So we should put it more into the economic sciences. Yes, that's, and I... that's just a reflection I have. Yes, and that's also the thing which, as Knut mentioned, judges couldn't agree on because. I think four of the judges gave dissenting opinion because they mm. were interpreting C CAI directive differently when it comes to the procedural aspects of the impact assessment. So maybe the law is not good enough or they cannot just they cannot find correct way to interpret it also. Yeah. Um, but uh, would you say that the government would not uh, have approved the project if, even if there were not errors? I think they would have approved it anyway. Uh, that's my guess because um, the majority in the parliament have been very pro-oil activity, petroleum activity. Uh, so I think they would have wanted to, to go ahead uh, even though even though the economic prospects were uh, not very high. Uh, but that's, and I guess that's, I think that's also what the, the Supreme Court were mm -hmm. building their decision upon, that, um, that there's been a history of approving uh, such uh, opening of new areas and approving uh, new developments. And there's a big majority behind, or big consensus around the, the main petroleum policy in Norway. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think so, but of course uh, it would have been more more debate at least and, and, and um, more discussion about do we really want to do this? So, um, yeah. So it's difficult to know. Do you have anything to add, Mats? Not really. I tend to I tend to agree with Kutaina at the environment at that point and was to just agree, but uh, you don't know, of course. You don't know what we, if there were negative numbers. Hmm. Maybe there would have been a bigger debate. Maybe the socialists in the government would have uh, put their feet down more. I don't know. But but it so, seems it seems then that even the court uh, agreed that uh, the the impact assessment almost does not matter. Uh, is that your understanding as well? Yeah, unless they discover or uncover some very 
crucial things. So, for instance, the, they work a lot on the environmental impacts, on describing impacts on on, uh, on birds and, and everything. Mm. Uh, and of course, if they had uncovered some really bad, really risky things, then maybe things could have been different. But I think, um, um, yeah, otherwise, I think it was a quite... Uh, and I, th I also think it was like a compromise in the government. So the, the Socialist Party, they got the, uh, some part uh, of the uh, of petroleum, and then uh, the Labour Party and the Centre Party got the uh, Barnes Harve. So there was a compromise also, which made it difficult to to get a different uh, decision in in the parliament. So since this was a uh, since the government had the majority in the parliament also. Yeah, because in the end of the day, it's politics, not just economics. So, yeah. so I, I will, we will let you go in a minute. We've taken a lot of your time now. I, I see. Look at the clock, but uh, b before we wrap up, we've uh, often asked the the law professors that we talk to what they think uh, the role of the judicial system is when it comes to climate activists, and we would like to post that to you. What you think the role of economics is in terms of uh, a climate activist's toolkit can does it have any uh, utility i actually think so i think uh, lot economics has a lot to contribute uh, also i think uh, climate activists should uh, pay attention because i think uh, it's uh, always very important when you want to reduce emissions to try to reduce emissions in the most efficient way, in the most cost-effective way, taking into account dynamic effects through technological development, etc. Of course, not only static, but I think still it's very important to analyze the effect of different measures and uh, see how much uh, bang do you get for the buck or uh, how much emission reductions do you get per corona, because it's very important if you don't get high emissions reductions at the same time the policy is very costly you will uh, you will nearly i guess everything will it runs the risk of stopping up so and so i think economists have a lot to contribute to discuss the different measures that you utilize and we are also uh, used at least when we are environmental economists that we used to also bringing in uh, the cost of environmental damages, the cost of emissions, that this, this uh, has a cost to the society. Uh, and then it needs to be reflected also um, in like impact assessment like this. We need to account for also these costs, not just the revenues from the oil extraction. Um, and also, of course, in other discussions of, uh, of uh, environmental uh, impacts, like uh, talking about biodiversity and the nature crisis also. Uh, that using or exploiting the nature, exploiting natural resources, it should uh, it should be costly. You should have to pay for it. You know, it, it shouldn't be taken for granted, or you shouldn't just use it for free. So there, I think economists can have something to to say or or help the the activists. Yeah, so I then uh, want to wrap up this conversation by saying thank you so much for joining us, and we really appreciate your insight and your work in this uh, in this area. So I think at least it was a very uh, very interesting and fruitful conversation. Thank you a lot. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you too. It's okay, been have a nice weekend. Mm. Also. Goodbye.
Okay, I think we gained some really useful uh, information out of this. And uh, Conrad, I'm sure you have a lot of things to comment on. Yeah, I mean, where to start? It's uh, just such a huge bag we've uh, uncovered here, I think, like, just with the the court's inability to understand like simple uh, economic uh, concepts and then of course all the errors they found in the original report just pulling in one direction towards more oil drilling i think it's just horrendous and i it's it's not uh, it's not a good time to uncover these things but i think it's it's very helpful to to understand better what uh, what climate activists are up against um so i think it's uh, also important to to uh, realize the perspective of these economists and also one that we heard from uh, professor shofiel uh, which was that the court could even though they they might wanted to side with the government they could have made um, a ruling that would uh, have uh, set certain standards for future environmental impact reports or had a judgment that made more room for this um, for this to be a viable path for future lawsuits or that uh, could improve the standard of future environmental impact reports but they chose not to and here we are so um, yeah i think it's bleak but i'm really glad we had this uh, conversation as well um, this was the, actually the last episode of this podcast series. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll have some additional uh, bonus episodes. Um, and we hope that you enjoyed this uh, podcast series and that you learned something out of it. We know we did. And thank you for listening. Bye.